Uh, we had uh, an Worship the Living God all-church retreat last weekend. Did you guys, anybody there? How was it? Most excellent. Uh, how was the worship? How, who feels that they brought back a little something more than they took to the retreat in terms of the kingdom of God? Excellent. Uh, pop quiz for you retreaters. What is worship? Shout it out. What is worship? Worship is uncalculated, making a big deal about God. Worship is waste, by which we mean uh, worship can seem to have a wasteful quality about it uh, because it's an extravagant gesture that doesn't appear practical in the first instance. But what does worship do? It lets God be big in your life. You make a big deal about God, then God can be a bigger deal in your life. He can be transcendent in those moments in which you need him to be transcendent and miraculous. Worship sets us up for transcendent breakthroughs when we really need the impossible to happen. I hear an amen. amen. I, hear, I heard a come on. I heard, I, don't give me an ovation right now, but, but I, know it's, I, know, I, know it's, I know it's bubbling. Uh, pop quiz number two. How many of you are good evangelists? One, you, you like event, you, are, you support the concept, however, however you don't feel like you're a, a great evangelist. Anybody? How are we doing in evangelism? One to ten, like how are you doing? Just shout out your answer. One to ten is? Three, seven, wow, eight. Who's, who's eight? You got it. All right, fantastic. Um, how many of you feel that trying to lead somebody to faith in your life is probably not going to work? How many of you feel like it's always dangerous to raise your hand at Blue Water Mission? Yeah, uh, I, sometimes I talk about prayer and I say the reason we don't pray more than we do is not because we're busy. The reason we don't pray more than we do is because we don't think prayer works. I think the same is probably true for evangelism, right? How many of you have tried to lead somebody to faith the last month? All right, so some, uh, but by no means the, uh, the majority. And why don't we try to do that more often? And the answer is because we don't think it's going to work. Really, when it comes right down to it, that is certainly uh, the answer. You don't think it's going to work. You think it's going to be a waste. You think it's going to be wasteful. Who has made the connection? If worship is an exercise of wastefulness in order to let God be big, I humbly suggest that evangelism, that, that spreading the good news about God, trying to lead somebody to faith, uh, might be done worshipfully. It might be done with an attitude of, you know, that holy sort of wastefulness. I'm not doing this because it works. I'm doing this because it lets God be big. And when I let God be big, transcendent things can happen. Amen? I will take. I got, I, got, I, got a, I got a mini O. I got a mini ovation right there. That's what I'm talking about. I, uh, I, I have a dog, and, and I take her out uh, for walks or, or runs a lot. Yeah, yeah. I have a God and a dog. Did you hear me correctly? I said dog. Um, and, and I take her out for walks, and that's how I meet people. Uh, because I'm not, I'm not very extroverted, but if you're a dog person, you meet people in the neighborhood, right? Uh, in particular, you meet other dog people, and dog people are the best people, let's just face it. If, if you meet a dog person, you've met, you've met a solid 
a solid person. So, you know, I, I know all the dog people around my neighborhood, and, and there's this one guy, a neighbor, who, uh, who I sort of got to know just by chatting uh, as, you know, we would meet each other on the dog walking circuit. And uh, I sort of met him once, met him a couple times, and, and then we found ourselves sort of walking in concert uh, as, as we were letting the dogs uh, run a little bit. And uh, he said to me, it's out of the blue one day, are you a spiritual person? Uh, and I said, why, yes, I am. And, and then he just, he just went off. He said, yeah, you know, I, I've been thinking about spiritual people. I've been thinking about spiritual questions and just kind of like just sort of held forth. There was a little soliloquy there for a while. And he's like, all right, well, I'll see you. And I take, take my dog home. And... Uh, and ever since that point, when we had an opportunity to walk together, he would insist on talking about God. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm an expert in all things spiritual. And so uh, this, this is an individual that I would refer to as ripe. Right? This is a person who is just ready to make spiritual breakthroughs uh, in, in his life. So, you know, we began to talk and... Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm happy uh, to talk about spiritual things, talked about our lives. I shared some stories uh, about how God became real to me and, you know, invited the fellow uh, to church, eventually came. Uh, and, uh, you know, I like to think came to a new stage and then moved off island, unfortunately, which is why I get to tell this story. He's not here to embarrass. Um, thank you. Um, But I was thinking about that experience, you know, someone running up to me and insisting to ask spiritual questions. Hey, are you a spiritual person? Was, was the opening line. Um, somehow he just knew that I was. Um, I asked myself, how often have I asked that question of others? You know, what, what a great lead-in to a relationship, <laughs> you know. And this stranger having an inkling that there was something spiritual in my life, felt fine uh, just asking myself, hey, are you a spiritual person? Can we talk about that? How many times have I done that to other people? And the answer is not, not very many. I spend a lot of time looking for the perfect opportunity to spread the love and the power and the understanding of, of Jesus. Um, but I probably don't spend enough time just creating opportunities. Uh, we, uh, in this country, in this community, are spiritual people by and large. I think actually we have a fairly robust spiritual environment uh, around here. Um, the surveys support this, right? Churches is, is becoming less popular, but spirituality in general is almost as popular. Uh, as, as it has ever been. And I, one of the reasons that we are like this as, as a people has to do with the great history of revivals in this country. Every so often in this country, uh, as, as is the case in, in other countries, we have an awakening of sorts. Every so often in American history, uh, a movement happens. Suddenly everybody becomes interested in God and spirituality. And those are typically seasons of great harvest for the kingdom of God. A lot of people come to faith uh, in Jesus. 
before we were even a country uh, in, in this land, we had the Great Awakening, uh, which uh, may be the most famous uh, revival in American history. Some people say that that revival led to the formation of the United States. It was extremely formative in how the American people thought about liberty and government and things like that. That was followed by the Second Great Awakening, um, uh, which ultimately uh, in around the turn of the 19th century was followed by the Third Great Awakening. Um, and uh, after that, uh, in the early 1800s, we had the Methodist Frontier Revivals. That was, they made popular the circuit-riding preacher uh, that, that a lot of us uh, know from, from history. Uh, a few weeks back, I talked about the lunchtime prayer meeting revival that started in Manhattan and spread throughout all the eastern uh, United States. That was preparatory uh, to the Civil War, as it turned out. Uh, it harvested somewhere around two million souls uh, for the kingdom of God at a time when our country was, was fewer than 30 million. Uh, the turn of the 20th century, we saw the, the great Pentecostal revival, uh, of which I will say a few more things in a, in a second. And then during the 60s and the 70s, we had the Jesus People revival that started here on the West Coast and sort of spread throughout the country. How many people here remember the Jesus People revival? Anyone? Sure. Fantastic. Very, very fruitful uh, revival. People come to faith all the time. All the time. Uh, but every, every so often we have these great seasons of harvest, right, where it seems like it's just, it suddenly becomes popular, you know, like everybody, everybody is, is doing it. I mentioned the Pentecostal revival. Uh, around 1900, uh, in a way that no one can quite explain in various places uh, around the world, uh, people rediscovered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have these Holy Spirit retreats at, at Blue Water. We take away, uh, you know, newcomers and just sort of introduce you to the person of the Holy Spirit, get you filled with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have been to Holy Spirit retreats? Well, nobody was doing that in, in 1900 uh, around the world. It was, it was a forgotten ministry. And then it's around the world um, in several major places. People sort of rediscovered, hey, hey, there's a Holy Spirit. And they began having supernatural encounters with him. And that touched off a revival. Uh, two places in particular in, in uh, the nation of Wales in Great Britain and then in Los Angeles at a place called Azusa Street, at the Azusa Street uh, revival. And, and people were just encountering the Holy Spirit of God in unlikely ways. The, the revival was led by guys who by and large were, were not prominent, not sophisticated, and barely educated. Um, but, uh, but it worked. It was totally disorganized. It was not sponsored by any denomination. It uh, engendered a number of denominations. The thing about the Pentecostal movement is that it is completely disorganized and, and unstable. And it has been, to date, the most fruitful movement in the history of the planet. Um, it began, you know, the Azusa Street Revival began about 1906. Uh, as near as historians can tell, it is it and its descendants, uh, charismatic renewals, uh, have been responsible since then for about 500 million conversions. And it is the only stream in Christianity that continues to grow today. And it has evangelized the global south, the, the southern 
uh, fraction uh, of the globe, which is where the only place where Christianity is growing uh, these days. The thing about uh, the Pentecostal revival is that it uh, was very decentralized and very spirit-filled. People began being filled with the, the supernatural power of God, and then they, they picked up this idea, hey, since I have the Holy Spirit within me, I don't have to be anybody special to accomplish amazing things. And so they would come to Azusa Street, uh, they would get filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they would carry that back to wherever they were from. And that's why it became such a fantastic evangelistic success. One major thing that it did is that it released women into ministry, because at that time, women were really not allowed to minister in public, in communities by, by and large. But the women felt like, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit has filled me and given me power, just like it's the, he has filled men and given men power, so we're going to play as well. Snaps. Um, and so uh, a lot of the famous Pentecostal ministers uh, were women, as it, it turned out. It did not spread as a system. It's been very disorganized. It did not spread as a system. It has spread as a virus around the world. And, and uh, in one way, shape, or form, I think Blue Water is probably a descendant. Of, of what happened there. Uh, we, have, we have those intrepid pioneers uh, to, to thank. Um, <clears throat> what I like about that revival 100 years ago is that it, it released people to do kingdom work. Uh, a lot of Christian scholars will complain that that revival was unstable and messy and had a lot of questionable theology in it but it created a kingdom of priests, a lot of people willing to just go for it in, in, in ministry. All that to make this point. The biggest hallmark of those seasons that we call revival, the biz, biggest hallmark of those seasons of great gathering in is simply this. Everyone participates. I've read a lot of revival history Here's, here's what I see. Uh, in normal times, there are a few people doing evangelism. In revival times, everybody does it. It just, it becomes a movement, right? Everybody plays. Oh, yeah, this is what we're doing now. Okay. And no sociologist can explain how that shift happens. But when it happens, the harvest is always plentiful. How, how easy is it to invite someone to church? How often do they come? One out of how many times? One out of 100 times? <laughs> One out of six times? Actually, people do surveys about this. You know that 25% of the time when you invite a non-church person to come to church, they will come? Statistically speaking, in the nation, one out of four. And that's during normal times. What if we all did that this week? There are, I don't know, 300 people here. How many people would come to church? Where's Jojo? She's been doing fraction equations this week in school. Did you say five people would come? 75, all right. Statistically speaking, without anything special happening. I think we're in a good spot uh, for Harvest as, as Blue Water Mission. I think we're in a good spot, spot for revival uh, because we have done a lot of things well. Uh, we make space for God to be transcendent and supernatural. We have a culture of generosity. 
uh, which makes a lot of things possible. Uh, we pursue uh, justice, uh, which I think pleases the Lord. I think we have a mission orientation. I think we know that life for every individual in God should be ministry. It's purpose, right? You all have a ministry to do. We know that, right? So everybody gets to play. Everybody is already primed uh, for ministry. Uh, we understand grace, I think, as a church. I mean, look around. Clearly, we understand grace. We are willing to be radically gracious. And um, if, you, if, you, if, if we're ready, you know, for, for a move of God. Oh, we also have worship now, right? We make great strides in worship, letting God be big in our lives, no matter the cost, without calculation. Can I get an amen for that? So that's a big deal. We're letting God do whatever he wants uh, with us. And, and if we're ready like that, say if, if you had purchased land and you had tilled the soil and you had planted the crop and the Lord had sent rain and, and the grain and, and the fruit looked full and ripe, what would you do? You would harvest. So I think that's probably the next season for us. And a season of harvest is defined as this. Everybody does it. That's all it is. That's all we got to do. I think, for the next season. Who believes me? Great. 18 of you believe me. And I got one Chihu. How many of you believe me? Come on. Come on. Those people of faith. So let's read uh, from Matthew 9, a very famous teaching that Jesus gives about the harvest. It's on your program. It'll be on the big board behind me. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Remind me to get a large print Bible. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, and he said to us, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Uh, Jesus instructs his disciples to pray for workers, and, and not just workers, but for harvesters uh, specifically. What prompted him to do such a thing? Well, it says that, you know, he was ministering, and he saw the crowds, and the crowds had a certain personality. They seemed harassed and helpless. He saw masses of clueless people. I've got those. I know where to find masses of clueless people, so check. Um, and, and what he said to them was, uh, pray. Pray for what? Pray for, pray for the people to be ready for the kingdom. No, that's not what he said. He said, pray for more workers uh, because we're about, to be, we're about to be overrun. What happens is if the harvest sits in the field too long? It rots. You have a golden opportunity. All we need is more manpower. So pray that the Lord of the harvest raises up more people to do the gathering ministry was Jesus' instructions. Um, sometimes I read this a bit cynically, and I think, well, yeah, you know, if, if I were Jesus, if crowds of people were coming to me because I was doing mass miracles, you know, healing every sickness and every disease and and stuff like that. It's like, well, yeah, that would, that would create a ripe environment. But I, I don't really think that that's how Jesus uh, was seeing it. Uh, indeed, in the very next chapter, in Matthew chapter 10, he sends out his disciples without him for the first time. He sends them out. 
into the field. And where does he send them? He sends them specifically to places where he has not been. So to strangers and unreached places, places that don't know anything about the kingdom and uh, about uh, the message. He says to them, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. So as you go, show up in a new place that doesn't know me, doesn't know you, doesn't know anything about what we're about. And the first thing you say is, uh, God's reign is right here with us. God's in control of this place. And then he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. In other words, demonstrate that God's control is available to you in the here and now. He says, uh, do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. In other words, go out without anything. Don't even pack a lunch. Jesus made it harder for them than he had to. What a good pastor. Makes it harder for his people. All right, I'm just saying. Um, For the worker is worth worth his keep. So in other words, if you pull this off, if you do a bunch of miracles, then people will feed you. So, and if you don't pull off the miracles, you'll starve. Those were the terms of the mission trip. Whatever town or village you enter, search for a worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let the peace of God rest on it. Uh, If not, let the peace return to you. Sometimes you'll get received and it will be a blessing. Sometimes you won't. Get over it. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet and leave that home or town. In other words, you know, there's a lot of harvesting to do. Don't waste time. If it's not working out here, get somewhere where it will. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as dove. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Some translations and accounts will say, I'm sending you out as lambs uh, among wolves. So he sent his disciples out to him places where he had never gone to prepare the way, essentially, to bring them to faith so that when Jesus got around to them, they would be ready to receive and to follow Jesus looked at the world, even at the places where he had not been yet, and he saw it as ready. He saw it as plentiful. He saw it as ripe. Uh, As he saw it, you needn't look for opportunities. You simply needed to make the most of them. Uh, Are there enough workers to bring in a harvest like that around the globe? And his answer was no. The urgency was, therefore, participation. Everybody jumping in, everybody playing. I think his version of how the world should be is sort of constant revival, right? You don't pray for God to send revival. You know, you pray for the people to participate in what's already going on, as, as Jesus saw it. It's already there. It's already ready. It's all ready. very convicting for me, yeah? That familiar little teaching. Can we make a movement? I mean, can, can we get everybody to participate? 
is the question. That's what I should be praying for, as Jesus tells it. The temptation for me is to think that I'm not really good at harvesting. I think that's the temptation for a lot of people, um, which I think is probably a, a waste of time. Um, the way Jesus set it up for his disciples, I think, was to make it clear that they were in no way ready. There was nothing about them that was going to make them particularly good harvest. It's just that the harvest was so stinking good. Um, so he took away all their money, all their extra clothes, all their luggage. Like, look, you, you have zero resources. What do you mean zero resources? I have a lunch. Give me that. You have zero resources. All right? Uh, I'm going to send you out. Well, that's great because I've got a great network throughout the country. No, go to places where they don't know you. Where are we going to find some place to stay? I don't know. Just find a nice person when you show up and ask if you can stay there. What if they reject me? Find another house. Am I not being clear? All right. So what are we going to do to get credibility? You're going to do the impossible. You're going to heal a bunch of people miraculously and cast out demons and stuff like that. We can't, we can't do that. We're not miracle workers. Exactly. Uh, so do it in my name. And, and, and see what happens. What if we fail? You'll starve. Let's get it in. That, that, was, his, that was his evangelistic uh, a training. And then just to make it all clear, at the end he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Think about that for a minute. You know, for, for some reason in my mind I see this as, as a joke. You know, a sheep walks into a bar. It's filled with wolves. What is the order? There's a punchline in there somewhere. I'm not going to it. Um, wh wh what does that picture conjure up for you? I'm sending you out a sheep among wolves. What does a sheep have to do ready, what, to be ready to evangelize a wolf pack? No, it is hopeless. Right? It is, it is hopeless. I think that's what Jesus is, is making clear. You are totally vulnerable. You don't have any functional weapons uh, in this fight. You have to be completely, completely dependent. I mean, it's, it's a little over the top the way that he's, he's describing it. Um, and somehow we get this idea that if we're going to go out as, as a sheep among wolves, then we have, to be, we have to be a very special kind of sheep. You know, we're just not going to be a lamb walking into a, a wolf pack. We're going to be, you know, ninja lamb. We're going to be Rambo lamb. We're going to be the toughest lamb the world has ever seen. Kung Fu Master Lamb. We're going to be UFC cage match lamb. When we go out, we're going to dazzle them with our brilliance. Uh, we're going to be very, very cool. We're going to be an enviable sort of sheep. Have you ever met a sheep? They're, 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 they're dumb. This is what we used to do for entertainment in the little town where I grew up in, in Oregon. We would drive down the freeway big pastures where the sheep were grazing, uh, we'd stop the car, we'd roll down the window, and we would all yell together, BUNCH! You can say it. BUNCH! And all the sheep would get terrified, and they'd run together as a circle into a, into a bunch. You see how that works? <laughs> Good times. Good times. Life in the fast lane. 
because uh, that's what sheep do. They're just like, when they're scared, herd mentality. You know, they are a mass harassed and helpless uh, by definition. Uh, that's what sheep are. And so Jesus says, yeah, I'm sending you out as one of them, uh, surrounded by wolves. Go get them. Jesus, can we disagree? He sucked at pep talks. You ever notice that? I want to follow you. Okay, pick up your cross daily if you want to follow me. It's terrible, a terrible motivational speaker. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I, have a, I have a PhD. Yeah, uh-huh. I was in grad school a long time, uh, and I've got uh, nothing to show for it. It has absolutely no bearing on my life whatsoever. But I learned some good Latin phrases, so here's one of my great Latin phrases. Uh, it's actually from uh, Virgil, who wrote a very long poem, a novel called The Aeneid. Uh, in Latin, it's Uno salus victus nullum sperare salutum. Yeah. Uh, and, and what that means uh, is the one hope of the doomed is to not hope for safety. It was a pep talk. Uh, in the book. The one hope, to, one hope of the doom is to not hope for safety. So if the odds are against you, if it looks impossible, the only, the only shot you have is to stop worrying about your safety and just go for it. You know, just to throw yourself into, into the hopeless fray and just kind of, you know, go nuts. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to survive, so stop worrying about it and fight. You know, and I think what Jesus was telling his boys is, yeah, you're not going to look cool, so stop worrying about it and, and do it. Yeah, you don't have what it takes. You're not clever enough to pull this off. So just get over it and go for it. You know, you're doomed. You're, you're doomed to looking awkward and poor and vulnerable and, you know, silly and otherworldly and supernatural and different. Um, so the only shot you have is by just accepting that and, and moving forward. Or as we like to say at Blue Water, eh, it's about a 2% chance of success. One of our favorite sayings. I have you know that at the beginning of Blue Water, TJ and I would get together before the surface and say there's about a 1% chance of success. So I feel like our faith has really grown by about, by about 100%. Uh, but we say that a lot when we're trying something otherworldly, when we're trying something kingdom-oriented. Eh, is this going to work? Uh, about a 2% chance of success. Oh, about 1 in 50 uh, to pull this off, uh, which is better than impossible. But I think that's the attitude we have to have. In other words, we need a wasteful attitude, which is an attitude of worship. You know, we've discussed how worship is wasteful. Worship is the point at which we give up calculating with God and we just make extravagant gestures. And I really think that's the key to evangelism as well. I really think that's the key to gathering in. And that's why we need a worship breakthrough before we become a truly fruitful people. I believe the Lord gave us that prophetic word and that's why we did uh, Worship the Living God All Church Retreats. How many of you feel wasteful? How many of you feel like your wastefulness capacity has gone up? By definition, your fruitfulness capacity has just gone up as well. That's how Jesus presents it to us. Uh, willingness to be wasteful, to just make extravagant gestures, to make God big and yourself small. Um, 
That's, that's the key. The willingness to be a lamb among wolves. That's, that's wasteful. You know, that's an extravagant gesture. That idea of wastefulness, the idea of worshipfulness lets us go out with nothing, with less than we need. So be it. So be it. Let it be worship unto the Lord. The capacity to be wasteful and worshipful is what lets us try. Right? Church t-shirt, sighting. Shannon, stand up. Turn around. There you go. Try. Uh, so I think the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, so this is how I do it. Uh, I don't, I'm never, I'm never, never ready for evangelism, but I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting smart enough to know that there are opportunities around me all the time. I don't think there's any right way um, to, to go about introducing people to the kingdom of God. Uh, but if you need a model, here it is. Uh, what I say in general is, God is here. Come on. God is here. Come on. That's my model. Go ahead. Repeat after me. Now say it in Latin. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we're blue water, not Harvard. Um, God is here. What that means for me is that I share stories. You know, I share stories. Well, this is what I've seen God do. This is what I've seen God do for the people uh, in, in, in my faith community. Uh, this is what God has done for me. Uh, this is where I've seen God break limits. Do you guys have any stories about stuff like that? Anybody? If not, almost every Sunday somebody shares one up here. Uh, so you can pocket that and take it with you. And then, you know, come on. Or game on. Uh, here's, here's a story. And then I try, to, I, might, I try to make it relatable to people by saying something like, here's a good phrase suggested to me recently, if you could have one miracle from God today, what would it be? If you could have one miracle, what would it be? I'll ask you. If you could have one miracle today, what would it be? What would it be? All your family would be said. Life change in the family. All right. What else? Joyce. Hmm? Yeah, heal Jenny. He's got chronic migraines. That would be great. One miracle. A billion dollars to drop out of the sky. People are crowding around you like this. Um, All right. So uh, we can do that. We can do that, you know. I can, I can join an intercession for your family, and here's the deal. You just have to invite them, right? Uh, we can lay hands on Jenny and try to bring the kingdom to her in, in, in the form of healing. And I don't know if a billion dollars is going to drop out of the sky, but I can testify to this, that uh, money is never a limiter in anything that you want to do. Just do it, and the Lord will provide what you need today, today. And what you need tomorrow, tomorrow. That's how it works. I've got lots and lots of testimonies about that. I'm quite certain money is no limit in your life. Um, anyway, so just an example. That's, that to me is evangelism. That's good newsism. That's how I spread the good news uh, right there. It makes, and it makes it real and, and relatable. And then I ask somebody like, so why don't you seek God? What, what's, stopping, what's stopping you? Uh, that's been a fruitful one for me. 
And then ultimately that leads to, why don't you follow Jesus? The why don't you seek God uh, question uh, often comes out of me in the form of, uh, why don't you come to our church? Why don't you visit? Because I have this conceit. I think that if I can get people here, their world will be rocked. What do you think? Can we do that? Can you help me with that? I mean, can we participate in that together? Yes? Standing O? Oh no, stay standing, stay standing. Because earlier today I prayed that the, wa- that the Father would raise up workers for the harvest and you just raised yourself up. So you're committed now. And, and now, so, so what I'm going to do is pray for you. My pastoral word is that this is, I mean, this is it. Uh, the season for our church now is a season of, of massive participation in the gathering of souls. That's what I think. Yeah, a lot of ways I've staked my life on it. So let's see if it happens. Uh, Father God, uh, I commit these people to you. I commit myself to you as workers for the harvest. And I pray, Lord, that you would visit us with that blast of participation that Jesus brought to the world. Just gathering people into uh, the harvest field and setting them to task. I pray, Lord, that you you would make us lambs among wolves, that you would give us that hope that is no hope for safety, but simply hope for fruitfulness. I pray, Father, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. We have let you be big in our worship, Lord, so I pray that you would be big in our lives and in our work and in our ministries. I pray that uh, you would be transcendent in, in places where we have never allowed you to be transcendent before. I pray that you would invade our cubicles at work. I pray that you would be transcendent in our office spaces. I pray that you would be transcendent on our job sites. I pray that you would be transcendent as we walk the dog. I pray that you would be transcendent as we say hello to our neighbor when he drives home from work. I pray that you'd be transcendent on the campus and in the classrooms, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would work through us when we have no special skill to offer. Just because we are carrying the kingdom. We are participants in the virus. We believe, Lord, that the harvest is plentiful. Uh, So we will try, given a 2% chance of success. We will be wasteful in this, Father God. We commit ourselves to it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.